Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Well, hey, Paul, good to see you. How you been? Good, man. We just got back from Kentucky. We went, uh, took the kids there uh, to visit their friends and we visited our friends. Everyone's PCSing out of the Fort Knox area where we came from last year over the last three years. Everyone's scattering to the four winds for new assignments. So we wanted to get out there and see everybody. And the good thing is we have a rental property there so we could write off some of that uh, piece of the trip. And also, and the house looks great. Great tenants. House looks immaculate. Probably looks better than when we were there. Quite honestly, we're pretty neat people. And then uh, all my first sets of clients are, are also in the Fort oh, Knox nice. area. So, yeah. So I was able to you know write off that section as well because we did conduct conduct some business there. So great, great little, great little thing to do if you can, if you can do those things. And that's strategic. Like I want a client in Hawaii. I don't have a Hawaii client. So, Hey, if you're listening out there and you're Hawaii, let's talk. And then maybe I'll come visit you out there. (laughs) Well then, uh, and that's what I I did that last year. Went to uh, Las Vegas, you know, which is probably the last time I'll go there for at least a decade, but went there and met a client and got to write off part of that trip. And that's a great thing about this business, having clients in all 50 States, uh, eventually that you can pretty much make an excuse to write off at least a portion of every trip you make. No question. Yeah, yeah. I've got Hawaii, Alaska. I have a guy in Saudi Arabia. I don't <laughs> want to visit there though. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, cool. Well, let's let's get started on this one. So we we figured today we will talk about common objections we hear when it comes to the infinite banking concept. Uh, the objections are all over the place. They're all online. I mean, you can see them. Uh, you just Google, you know, you YouTube this and you'll get people who hate on IBC and some very well-known names out there too, who call it a scam and all this. Um, and, but, and there's plenty of good information out there too. But you, know, you and I have been doing this for a while. So why don't we just go through some of the most common objections that we hear from from prospects, from haters, and even from um, people who really want to do this, but they just can't get over a couple of these things. They, they got to understand them better to get over these objections. So hey, why don't I, uh, I'll just list the first one and you can go with, you can go with your answer on this. So Paul, why in the world would I pay interest to an insurance company to borrow my own money? Well, you're not borrowing your money when you borrow money from the life insurance company. You're borrowing the life insurance company's money, right? So this is this is based on a lack of understanding of how life insurance works or any insurance, right? A life insurance company, an auto insurance company, doesn't matter. They take our premium dollars, right? And they have to put them to work either through their own investment portfolio where they're buying some, where they're buying bonds, corporate real estate, loaning blocks of money to, to banks or to finance companies, whatever. Another way they make money, though, in the life insurance uh, business is they give policy loans to policy owners. Right. So you're using their money, not your own. And that's the beauty of this. Right. Is my money or your money in your policy is untouched. That's how it enjoys uninterrupted compound growth. You don't want to touch your money. It would be like, or it's kind of like, hey, if you take money out of your savings account, Dave, 
how much money is that savings account earning for you now? None. Zero. No, nothing. Right. You'd have to put money back in there for it to earn the, the you know, the, the piddly widdly amount of interest that savings accounts do pay these days. Right. So it, it, it's the same way. You're not using your money, using the life insurance company's money. Everyone obsesses over other people's money, OPM. This is the same thing, except the lending terms are the most favorable you will ever find in the financial world. Right. So lending terms, as far as one, you're number one in line to borrow the insurance company's money because you're an owner of the insurance company. And if if you own a company, would you want that company to not make any money when they loan money out to other people? Like, I don't no. know. I'm a capitalist. I like to earn a profit. So it's a great, it's a good thing if the company is charging you interest, because another thing that does is it, it makes you um, evaluate what you're using that money for. So, OK, hey, I got to pay some interest back to the insurance company. So I got to make sure that the money I'm taking, like that money has value. And a lot of people don't value the money they have in their savings account. Right. They might save it up and then pay cash like they're taught to by some people because they don't value the fact that that money, that $10 you gave away or the $1,000 you gave away is worth more than $1,000. It's worth $1,000 plus all the interest you can earn on that $1,000 over the rest of your life. And that's what this does. You pile your money inside your, your cash value life insurance policy, and that cash gets locked in there forever, earning compounded interest and dividends for you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Something you said there sparked something that I had with a client last week where they were stealing the peas. You know, they had some policy loans out and they were making consistent payments every week. Boom, boom, boom. And then I noticed, you know, because I go in and check every now and again that those payments stop. So it reminds me of, hey, you should never take a policy loan. If you wouldn't take a loan from a bank to do whatever you're going to do, you wouldn't take a policy loan either. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And when you say steal the peas, of course, Paul's referring to Nelson Nash as becoming your own banker, where he uses the analogy of a grocery store owner stealing the peas, taking the can of peas out the back door without paying for them versus going through the front door and the register and actually paying the market value for those peas. So um, if you don't understand what we're saying when we use these analogies, get that book, read it. Um, okay, great. I think that's hopefully that that's satisfies the objection on that one. Um, all right, the next one. Hey, but Paul, I heard when I die, the, the insurance company keeps all of my cash. So I built up all that cash value. When I die, they don't give me any of that. They keep it. What's up with that? This one really triggers me. Is it a microaggression? It's a microaggression. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this this is simply a lack of understanding of, of how the product works. When I say the product, I mean whole life insurance, right? The cash value is simply the net present value of the future death benefit, less you know the premiums that haven't been paid yet in between that time, right? So if you look at any life ins- whole life insurance illustration, whether you look at the guaranteed side of the ledger, which is guaranteed, or the non-guaranteed, which assumes a certain dividend scale, right? If you go to age 121, the cash value, the, the net cash value in the death benefit are the same number, right? So that opens up a whole other b- bunch of questions. Would you rather have a small death benefit or a large death benefit if that's true, which it mm-hmm. is, right? So I want a large death benefit because if that cash value is trying to catch up to that death benefit every year, I want my death benefit to be as large as possible because that means I'm going to have access to a lot of cash. Right. Right. So that's just, again, lack of understanding. It is simply the net present value of the death benefit. It's nothing, nothing more than that. They are linked. You can't have one without the other. Like, I don't want the death benefit. I just want the cash. Well, you you can't. This is life insurance. It has a death benefit. We can't get around around that. So once someone understands that relationship, those 
that objection, that actually it's not really an objection, that lack of understanding becomes clear. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And a, a good analogy that I know Bob Murphy uses is uh, it's kind of like a house. Yeah. So let's say you're living in your house. You've let's even say you've paid your house off completely <clears throat> and your house, you, you paid off the mortgage of three hundred thousand dollars. But your house has actually grown and now it's worth five hundred thousand dollars, which is pretty accurate, probably in today's market. So. You got three hundred thousand dollars of equity of cash that you put in there. The house is worth five hundred. When you go to sell your house, are you going to get five hundred that value of the asset that you sell plus the three hundred thousand dollars of cash that you put into that house? No, that's ludicrous, right? You get the asset. The asset in life insurance is the death benefit. That's the asset. Your cash value, all that represents is the equity that you built inside of that asset. And when, you know, God forbid you die, which is going to happen, the insurance company is going to pay you out the full asset amount. And of course, they're not going to give you the cash in addition. But guess what? what? What people don't understand and the people that bash on this about IBC is that what they don't talk about, whether it's either out of ignorance or out of deceit and either one. You know, whether you're ignorant or you're deceitful, I, I don't want to do business with you. So take your pick. But they say they don't mention that every year that your cash value increases, guess what? Your death benefit's going to increase as well. So it's not like you started a half million dollar death benefit and then now you've got, you know, $490,000 of cash value and then 600000 and 700000 of cash value. And then when you die, they keep the seven hundred and they give you the 500 No. The death benefit's always going to outweigh the cash value, right? Until they meet at age 121, at which time, hey, apparently the first person to live to 120 is alive right now. That's what the scientists say. But at that time, the life insurance company just cancels the contract and issues you a check for the full value. That's right. <laughs> I like Bob also said this, I think, in one of the one of the, the videos was, hey, I paid you. You know, when you pay off your house, they send you the deed and you go down to the bank like, all right, I'm here for my equity now. And they're like... <laughs> No, it doesn't work like that. No, nope. <laughs> you get the deed. <laughs> yeah. 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 You get, yeah. You get the asset. But we can help you do a home equity line of credit, can't we? Yep. Right. So yeah. no, great, great point. Uh, next one. So dividends. Let's talk about dividends. Everybody talks about dividends with whole life insurance. Um, the reason we focus on the dividend side of the ledger is because it's really the most likely course of action is for the insurance company to pay dividends because they have you know, in the case of the companies we write for 117 to 150 plus year history of paying out dividends every single year. So we focused on dividends like that's an important piece of this. But hey, financial entertainer so and so told me the dividends are only a return of premium. So basically the insurance company overcharged you for your annual premium. And at the end of the year, all they're doing is giving you back the part of that premium that they didn't use. What's up with that, Paul? Well, what I like about this is that, again, it's the lack of understanding, right? People think this is a, they hear dividend, Dave, and they think, oh, this is like a dividend from like a stock. And we have to get into that conversation of, of no, it's a return of, it's a return of excess premium. It's a divisible surplus, right? So as part owners of these companies, as policy owners, we're part owners of a mutual life insurance company, right? I want to get a dividend. I want to, that company to be profitable. I want to share in the profits, and I do, right? But it's not a number they're ever going to be able to calculate, right? Part of the advantage of the classification by the IRS as well is that these dividends that you receive, and they're very consistent, 
are not taxed, right? When you are, we use them, right? And this is how IBC works. We use our dividends that we get every year to buy what's called additional paid up insurance, okay? Which increases the death benefit, adds to my cash value, right? That is not a taxable event, right? There's no 1099. There's no, there's nothing generated because of this. Now, Nelson Nash, you know, in the book, he showed his dividend checks and stuff in uh, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. He showed his four dividend checks from, I think, I think it was State Farm. Mm -hmm. So, yes, but if you read further, he did that just to put, so he could literally put them in the book, right? That's what he said. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I've been, I've been buying paid up additional insurance with it, but now I'm going to take the dividend checks so I can take pictures of the checks, put them in the book just to show people, look at this. It's real. Yeah. And then when the life insurance company said, hey, you've you've got you've recovered all your basis, right? All your money you've got into the policy in, in, in premium, you're now equal. The next dividend check that you'll get next year will be taxed. So he calls up the company and says, hey, I want to buy paid up additions with that dividend from this point forward. So no taxable event. So, again, Dave Ramsey is. Technically correct with his IRS classification. Well, that's, right? that's but his, exactly correct. The IRS yeah. does classify it as a return of premium, which is outstanding for right. us. Yeah. Right. He kind of he's like he kind of misses the point. Like, yeah, Dave, that's the advantage. And I think that's that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, it, it should always remain that way, too. So, again, either ignorance or or deceitfulness. I don't know. Take your pick here. What about this? If dividends were, in fact, only an overpayment of the premium you made, then that means by definition, if that's all it was, then you would never have more cash value available than you paid in in premium, right? Because right. you're only getting whatever you, you know, of that premium that you didn't use. So then why, Paul, after, a, you know, so many years, and I think I'm at that point in, in some of my policies, why is my cash value exceeded my cumulative premium? Obviously, it's more than just a return of overpayment of premium, right? Like it has to be mathematically. So it includes a lot more than just your overpayment or else it wouldn't make sense that my cash value far outpaces the premium I'm, I've ever paid in at some point in the policy. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, as the policy ages, right, and you get as you age, you're getting closer to natural death, Right. And the life insurance company is on the hook for that. They want as much time as possible to so they can meet those benefit, those you know, pay out your death benefit. Right. So that the other reason, one of the reasons that cash surrender value also rises is that that's what the life insurance company is willing to pay you to walk away from the contract. That's exactly what your cash value is. It's yep. The life insurance company is saying we will pay you this much to cancel the contract and take this liability off of our books. Right. So. As a, just a real world example, let's say one of my policies has, I don't know, $105,000 of cash value, right? But the death benefit happens to be $3 million or something. Well, there's a big difference between my net cash surrender value, my you know premiums paid into the policy, which creates the cash value versus the death benefit, right? It's a huge difference. The net amount at risk is what it's, it's called is, is now $2.9 million. That's right. On the insurance company, right? So that's right. They'll be happy to pay you 105 to get rid of that liability. That's right. And so not that that's not what we're encouraging, folks, no. like 20, 30 years into your policy. Like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm good to go. I just surrender the policy. That would, that would be silly in uh, most circumstances. But anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Yep, absolutely. OK, cool. We beat that horse. How about this one? I don't have any kids, Paul. Why do I need life insurance? OK, so this has happened a few times. If you're trying to do IBC. 
Okay. It, it doesn't matter at all. If you want IBC, it doesn't matter. Now, maybe there's an argument for, I mean, the future's unknown, right? Maybe you will get married and have kids someday. I mean, I don't know. Right. But, yeah. you know, are you healthy right now? Yes, I am. Okay. Maybe you should get insurance because how many people have we met that are uninsurable that want to get insurance? I'm, yep, I'm at like eight or nine in the last couple of years, right? I've had, I think, two already denied this year. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, and it's a sad thing to see because they want to do it. Um, but again, so it doesn't really matter if from an IBC perspective, right? From, from really a financial perspective, this is a great place to put money. Dividend paying whole life insurance with a mutual company is a great place to put capital and grow it, right? All the advantages. There's, there is the death benefit. Maybe, Maybe there's a charitable organization you want to leave it to. Maybe you want to leave an endowment to your university or something. It doesn't matter, right? But to do IBC properly, it has to be properly structured, dividend-paying all life. You, you, you can use other products like a savings account. Just <laughs> you won't be as good, right? You're just using a sinking fund at that point. So I think, I think that's important. From the IBC, IBC perspective, you want to have the dividend-paying whole life insurance, regardless if you have kids, family members you want to leave money to. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I get plenty of bachelor bachelorette clients yeah. right that have three million dollar whole life insurance policies because they understand the value of this product to use as a financing system Simple exactly as that. yeah and people don't come to us saying i need a lot of death benefit they come to us because they want to learn how to create and control the a a banking system in their own life and that's what it's about so yeah i've got yeah. plenty of of single you know no dependent clients and they are so on board and they're going to continue to, you know, when they do have kids, they'll start even more policies because now they're more focused on the death benefit. So, yeah. yeah. And again, you know, Nelson said this, right? You know, if you we're trying to create a financing system, like you said, we're trying to become our own banker. And by doing so, using this product, we'll end up with more life insurance than we otherwise would have purchased anyway. And, you know, he says you might not be able to get it past the underwriters. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. A couple more here. So, hey, Paul, I'm 60 years old. I'm too old for IBC, right? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Next. <laughs> Next. No. No. So I had this conversation yesterday with uh, one of our old neighbors, actually, at Fort Knox. Literally Great. an old neighbor. Like they're well, old. he's 50. Oh, so that's not old at all. You know, you're getting there, right? You're, <laughs> you're only seven and a half short years away from but, that. So hey, you're uh, you're the same age as me. So I know. Yeah, I know. Um, so we had this conversation yesterday and I said, listen, obviously, and, and he brought up the, you know, we hear this a lot, too. Not an objection, but just a fact. I wish I'd started this 30 years ago. Sure. 20 years ago, whatever. We've said the same thing. Um, so we, we got in the conversation of obviously you're going to need a lot more premium dollars to purchase the amount of death benefit that you need because he's married. He's the breadwinner. He has two children that are, you know, school age. He needs, you know, he needs 20 times his income, right? 15, 20 times his income and death benefit. Right. So we, you know, we worked out, you know, how much premium that would take and what, you know, a policy would look like and, and what it costs. And, and of course we talked about, you know, all things being the same, you know, a 20 year old. You take a 20 year old guy, his dollar for dollar, you know, for premium for death benefits going to be way more efficient, right? Because sure. he's 30 years behind you, yeah. you know, 30 years less uh, away from death. <laughs> yep. So, so no, you can take out insurance on somebody else. You have kids, you have a spouse that's younger, uh, you have children, 
Um, you have maybe a business partner. You can own policies. And this question comes up a lot, too, is you have to have an ins- you have to show, demonstrate insurable interest. Right. So you have an insurable interest on all those things. I just all those people I just named. Uh, and that's how it let's say I'm uninsurable because I had a stroke or a heart attack last year. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a healthy business partner. I can take out a policy on him or I have kids. I can take policies out on them. And that's how you can practice IBC through other people. And Nelson has an example of that in the book with the, the girl going to college and the parents are financing policies on, on her. Right. Yep, absolutely. So you get to own and control a policy, even though the person being insured on the policy is somebody else, somebody younger, healthier, with much better rates. So, yeah, it can be done. I had my question is always if somebody asks me that they're 60, I say, well, are you too old? Um, It depends. How much longer do you plan to live? And if you plan to live another 25, 30 years, then you can absolutely benefit from this. My oldest client was 63 when we put a policy in place for him. I had breakfast with him. His policy is about a year and a half old. Had breakfast with him this week. And he looked me in the eye and said, David, the smartest thing I ever did financially was open that policy with you. Because he's going through something right now where his cash value is protected. Nobody can get to it but him. And that's kind of his saving grace right now. So that's just another benefit of cash value life insurance is creditor protection, bankruptcy protection, depending on what state you live in, highly, highly protected. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to hear that. Awesome. Yeah. One of the many attributes. Absolutely. So, all right, let's do one more. So and this, (laughs) this is probably one of the, the biggest ones of, well, Hey, Paul, I can get a, a better rate of return in my mutual fund. You know, what's the rate of return on these policies? So compared to a mutual fund? Uh, sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I don't want to say this, but and it, I would say this. We're not doing an apples to apples comparison. Right. Okay. Life insurance, whole life insurance is not, I have a lot of things to say about mutual funds and people that know me well know that, but that's outside of the scope of this podcast. Yeah. However, this I would rather have my money. Yeah. I would rather have my money all in dividend paying whole life insurance than mutual funds, quite honestly. But yeah. that's just my, that's just my opinion. Uh, that being said, not a fair comparison, right? Are mutual funds guaranteed? No. Do they have a death benefit? No. Are they taxed? Yes. Um, do you what's have control? The, what's not the, really the risk? There's, yeah. there's, you're, there's, there's exposure. They're not guaranteed, right? So you have whole life insurance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whole life insurance. I have control. I have liquidity. I have use of the money. I've, I'm building equity. I know what the value is going to be every single year at the end of the year of the policy year, right? I know that it's, it's on the illustration. It's going to be at least that guaranteed per the contract. So it's just, it's, it's a silly comparison. Like if you want to buy mutual funds or buy stocks or any other product other than dividend paying whole life, yes. This is an and asset. Go out and do those things, right? Put your capital here first, like we've talked about in, on many of the episodes, and then go do whatever it is you want to go do with that money. Invest in real estate. Start your own business. You know, we, we're, these are real world examples, right? We've had people do these things. Buy mutual. I wouldn't buy mutual funds, but you could do that, right? Yeah. But now you have your money kind of doing multiple jobs for you at the same time. Whereas if you just go out and buy mutual funds... Well, you have no protection. You have no, you know, death benefit. You have none of these things, right? So, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's that's all I want to say about the yeah. Fund so that's that's a good question compared to what really the only thing you can compare it to is another savings account. Um, that's right. You know, and it's gonna and, and it's gonna be better over the long term. It's going to be better. Absolutely, far better. I mean, what's a, a high uh, um, a, a high return savings account right now? 
I was talking to somebody yesterday. He said he has his money there. 0.65% interest mm. is what he's earning. Over oh, the man, course just of, crushing it. Yeah, <laughs> he's killing it. Uh, totally worth putting it in there. So, yeah, you know, if you want to exceed that by 100, 500%, whatever that number is, you know, put it in dividend paying whole life insurance. Yeah, it's going to be far better. Yeah, um, far better. Yeah. Not not in the early years, obviously, right? Because there's some startup costs like Nelson talks about in the book. Yeah. However, over the long term, like you said, it's not even close. The person with the whole life insurance policy and practicing IBC is going to run away from his twin, you know, his twin brother who's doing, you know, whatever. Yeah. The sinking fund method or whatever. Yeah. And exactly. Speaking of Nelson, one of the things he says at the very beginning of becoming your own banker is it's not about investments. It's about how one finances the things of life. So, you know, if you're exploring this, really, you need to get out of that investment mindset. Like, stop thinking as an investor. Life insurance is not an investment. It is life insurance. They're two different things. There's guarantees, there's savings. Investments involve risk. Risk is, you know, probability of loss. So this is not about investments. It's not about rate of return. Really, I could say it's about multiple rates of return, which is what I'm getting on my money by leveraging it and putting it first into my policy, leveraging it for somebody else's money, getting the rate of return outside the policy in addition. So, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. You know, words matter. We, you know, we make premium payments to life insurance, right? We're not making contributions or deposits. It's, it's premium, right? Mm -hmm. And that money is no longer yours after you make the premium payments, a life insurance company's money, right? And they're going to do with it what they do with it. So, but yeah, you have to just apples to apples comparisons, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, I think we covered probably some of the most common objections that we hear from everywhere. So hopefully that helped everybody. And uh, you got something from this. If you want to reach out, our email is in the show notes and we'd love to talk to you. We will. uh, We'll catch you guys next week. See you next week, Paul. See you, buddy. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at the And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.